1: Monday, December 11th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Alex Team for Dave. Let's hit those horns and go. Coming up on the show today, the federal government planned to introduce a clean drinking water bill this week to address the issues in Indigenous communities. Michelle McQueen has more from the headlines. And it's been a big year in travel for Kim Thistle. She reflects on the accessibility of tourist destinations around the world. And finally, a new Netflix film takes on the body swap genre. Amy Amante shares her review of Family Switch. All that and more coming to you this Monday morning. But of course, as we do every show, we begin with the top news stories of the day. Starting off, the Canadi- Canadians can expect the new national dental plan to roll out in 2024. Brenda Molina Navidad has this report.
2: Government officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity say the new program will be phased in slowly over 2024. Applications are expected to open as early as next week, starting with qualifying seniors over the age of 87, but it will take months before they can start to claim the benefits. Eligibility will gradually expand over the course of the year to include all qualifying seniors over the age of 65 by May of 2024 then children under the age of 18, and people with disabilities by June. The insurance plan is a condition of the Liberals' supply and confidence deal with the New Democrats. Brenda molina Navidad, The Canadian Press.
1: And to a couple environmental stories now. Canadian municipalities are raising the alarm that they need more support and funding from the provincial and federal governments in order to help combat future impacts from climate change. Rob Westgate shares the details.
3: Cities and towns this year have been battered by historic fires, flooding, heat and ice storms, and have had to dispense additional sums to guard against severe weather and clean up in its aftermath. Now, those costs have threatened balanced budgets in several places in the last year, including Ottawa, Regina and Montreal. Montreal Executive Committee member Maya Vodanovic says it will be difficult for the city to keep up with climate change-related costs without more money from the provincial government and new revenue sources beyond property taxes. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press.
1: And overseas, the COP28 conference continues this week in Dubai. As delegates continue to push for an end to fossil fuels, senior COP28 official Simon Steele says there is still a long road ahead.
0: That leaves us with the question, how do we get from here a meaningful deal? First, clear the the unnecessary tactical blockades out of the way. And there have been many along this journey.
1: And then back here at home, ranchers want the government to step up and help preserve the Canadian grasslands. Michelle Zakadian has this report.
4: More than 75% of those that once covered the Canadian prairies have been plowed under for crop farming or urban development. Most of the grasslands that still exist in Canada are used by ranchers to graze cattle, but many ranchers are facing financial pressure to downsize their herds or exit the industry entirely. The beef industry is lobbying the federal government to fund a program that would offer a financial incentive for ranchers who agree to conserve their native grasslands for a period of several years. Michelle Zedekia the Canadian press.
1: And now for uh, finishing off with a couple of tech stories. So first at home here, the wireless spectrum options wrapped up last month. And these auctions see telecom companies just bidding on licenses and could impact the coverage and costs for users here in Canada. Rob Westgate has more.
2: Government officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity oh. say the new program will be phased in slowly over 2024.
1: That Applications unfortunately are is to the wrong uh, uh, link there for the uh, Rob Westgate story. We'll play that later on in the show. We'll go now to our final uh, of story, which it features Google in releasing the list of the top searches of the year. dawn of order has the results released its Year in Search, a roundup
5: of 2023's top global queries. The ongoing Israel-Hamas war topped news trends in 2023, followed by the Titan, the submersible that imploded in June while taking tourists to the wreckage of the Titanic. The devastating earthquakes in Turkey and Syria also topped news trends. DeMar Hamlin was Google's top trending person on search this year. The Buffalo Bills player went into cardiac arrest on the field during a January game, but has since celebrated a comeback. Hamlin was followed by actor Jeremy Renner, who survived a serious snowplow accident at the beginning of the year. And in entertainment, Barbie dominated Google Search's movie trends, followed by Oppenheimer. I'm Donna Water.
1: And that's it for the top news stories of the day. It's now time for the daily polls. We start with the results of Friday's poll where Dave asked you, how do you feel about Paris sport events being behind a paywall? Well, this was pretty unanimous as in 0% of you said good and 100% said bad. I I tend to feel this was a pretty captain obvious question, but. It did spur quite a few insightful comments, starting on Facebook with John, who wrote, Bad. Promoting the benefits of sports shouldn't come with a fee. Know your audience, in quotation marks. Ask me how I feel about CFL games, dot, dot, dot. Liliana says she feels angry. And then over on Twitter, Josh tweeted, Many people who might become involved in Parasports after seeing it live under tight financial constraints. Putting events behind paywalls make it harder for those people to find and access those events. And finally, Hilario tweeted, I think it's unfair. I think everything, in capital letters, everyone, very well put all you at home. And hopefully you get to chime in with your opinions on today's poll because I'm asking you, a new study finds that Canadians are not as familiar with the Canadian Charter as they think they are. And so how important is it for Canadians to fully know the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms? Very, somewhat, or not at all and be sure to chime in on the poll on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc or on Twitter at Accessible Media. Let's welcome in, first off, filling in as co-host today, Elizabeth Moeller. Hello, Elizabeth, how are you doing today?
4: I'm great, thanks, Dave. How are you? Or sorry, Alex.
1: We're off to a great start.
4: We're off to a great start.
1: Off to a great start. So I'll start with you on uh, this question, Elizabeth. So how important is it for Canadians to be, and I, I put this caveat in: fully know the Canadian Charter of Rights and mm. Freedoms. How 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 important is that? Is it very somewhat or not at all?
4: I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with vary, because it, mm-hmm. it is part of our constitution, which is like the most important law in Canada, right? In our courts base decisions off of the constitution The constitution and the charter, they use the charter to guide decisions. It informs the values of our country, um, especially for, for folks that are coming to Canada to know what their rights are between being a citizen uh, and a newcomer, as well as uh, a permanent resident. Like those are very, they're laid out in the charter because it's a foundational piece of legislation. I do feel it's really important. It's interesting because I know in Ontario, at least, we have a course that I was the first year that this was introduced, which is a civics course where they actually talk about the three levels of government and they talk about what's involved in each level of government. And I think that that kind of thing is is very much needed. But yeah, I would say it's very important given the significance of this piece of legislation and it does affect all of us.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's a, a very good point, Elizabeth, that you make. Like I too having gone through high school, grade 10, you had to go through that civics course as well. I could still tell you, I mean, it's been decades since I've had that civics course. So I probably am not as familiar as I once was with the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And even back then, I don't know if we fully explored every single article within the charter itself. We may have gone through it, but you know, maybe there's there's something else that can be done like further down the road a bit more of a refresher maybe in a instead of grade 10 you also have a repeating you know few weeks in grade 12 or something like that just to provide that extra boost or refresher course if you will yeah. i also yeah. want to get the opinion from a uh, special guest amanda shikarchi <laughs> who is joining us on this uh, today and next monday back for a limited time with the entertainment reports amanda First off, welcome back. How are you doing?
6: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me back.
1: No, thank you for coming back. So I want to get your thoughts on this. Amanda, you're out of the three of us. You're the uh, most recent uh, 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 person to go through high school and through this uh, civics course. So how important do you think it is for Canadians to fully know the Charter of Rights and Freedoms?
6: I definitely agree with what you both said, that it is very important because it's part of our identity. It's who we are and it's important to understand our rights. And also, I also went through the civics course and I don't Mm -hmm. think I could, I should have been paying more attention because I don't remember the charters as much as I should. But I think that Canadians should know what their rights and freedoms are.
1: Well, so this raises kind of an interesting point. So I, I we've all kind of said, well, we we could use a bit of a refresher, we can't quite remember. Do we feel like we are uninformed as a result? Like I, I would say, you know, we all have a bit of an understanding around it. I, For me, I'm kind of in that like somewhat category, unless it's a very specific situation. How valuable is that knowledge going to be? Um, I don't fully know where to kind of side with this, Elizabeth, you brought up some great points, especially if we're, we're talking about immigrants or new Canadians, you know, just familiarizing yourself with the Charter as become a coming to a new country. But for those of us who, you know, born and raised here, you know, you, you don't necessarily have these, these ideas top of mind. So like, what do you think of what do you make of that point?
4: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, to be fair, and and even preparing for today's question, um, I had to do a little bit of digging. It is interesting um, on the Government of Canada website, they have a plain language guide that breaks down the charter. I think one of the things that people f- probably feel in terms of, should I know it? It's like, yes, but the language can be very intimidating, especially for folks who perhaps reading and writing English is not their first language. So I what I like is this plain language guide really breaks it down, like mm-hmm. what does this all mean? I mean, for us, we're all part of an equity-deserving group and the charter really does set out a number of rights under that. So that's a section, like you talked about different sections for me, that that I feel that I would want to get a little bit um, more, more familiar with. Um, and I, but I think for sure, part of it is just the intimidation, right? It's this huge document. It's maybe not user-friendly. And so having like a plain language guide, I think is a really great step to sort of address that. But yeah, like, how do you, how do you take this course in grade 10? And to your point, like, okay, we've, well, I'll speak for myself. I'm 20 years out of high school. How do <laughs> I continue to refresh my knowledge on this in a way that's meaningful yeah. and applicable?
1: very good thank you both of uh, so much for chiming in on the daily poll i will be chatting with you throughout the show so don't go anywhere but coming up after the break the conversation around this topic continues because michelle mcquigg will be stopping by she's going to talk about this story as well as a proposed bill to introduce a clean water water into indigenous communities across canada you're watching now with dave brown on ami tv Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mythe, in for Dave. For First Nation communities in Canada, access to clean drinking water has been a critical issue for years. Indigenous Service, Services Minister Patty Hyjuice hopes to address this with a new bill set to be tabled this week. Michelle McQuigg is the weekend news at the Canadian Press and has the details on this story. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Alex, how are you? I'm not too bad. So, uh, Michelle, let's start with this. So this bill seems to be a long time coming. This has been something that has been talked about. This issue, trying to address this issue has been kind of something that's lingered within this uh, Liberal government for years. So what had been done to address this issue previously?
7: Well, it's funny because I, I I know exactly what you mean by saying when you say it feels like it's been a long time coming. Uh, but funnily enough, there actually was legislation in place to address this issue tabled by the previous government and it was on the books until last June. So there actually was legislation in place, uh, which I had not even remembered for the longest time. But so th- what the Liberal government was facing there was pressure first to, to address and change that federal law that was tabled in 2013 under the Harper government. There was Pressure to revise that law that never came to pass. So eventually it was repealed. And what's going to happen this week is the replacement legislation is due to be tabled. So, in in and also, we'll come back to this one, I'm sure, but in in the course of that whole process that I just outlined, there was also a big federal court decision aimed to address this issue, and that was asking, for, or, excuse me, resulted in an $8 billion settlement to any First Nations communities that had been under a boyle Wilder advisory for more than a year, and that spanned quite a huge time period of 1995 to 2021. So, that was another area where there was some movement on this particular file, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I think it's it's all kind of piecemeal and there's different jurisdictions in place that are making it, this all feel more protracted than perhaps it is.
1: Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, it has been a bit piecemeal. There have been, you know there was the the, uh, the Harper uh, government um, kind of uh, law in place that then got uh, is being replaced by by this bill. So what details are there currently around this bill? Are there any details of what could uh, be included?
7: This will be a short answer. No, there are none. We have no idea whatsoever what's coming with this. So the, the one thing we have been told is that this bill was, quote unquote, co-developed with Indigenous communities. But there's some debate around that, too, uh, In, with some saying that they have not been consulted. So we don't even know what that consultation process looked like, let alone what it resulted in. But uh,
1: details expected in the next few days very good so what we will do then is we'll we'll leave this story for now and we'll we'll follow along with it as uh, more more details emerge hopefully later this week we get a bit more of an understanding what this bill is going to look like and what details are going to be involved in Mm -hmm. that but Let's move on to the second story, which is related to what the daily poll conversation was around the Canadian yes, Charter I heard of that. Rights and Freedom. <laughs> and so, Michelle, like, what can you tell me about this story? I find it very interesting with this, these polls and, and the results that came yeah, out of
7: it. it. It is interesting. So uh, the polling from Leger, conducted this poll, it was an online survey, about 1,500 people. And some of the most striking findings are, for instance, only one-third of those respondents acknowledged having read the Charter. But even among those who have, uh, there there are discrepancies around whether or not they agree with the opening line of the Charter. Um, The biggest takeaway, though, really, coming back to the main point, is that only one-third have even read the Charter at all or acknowledged doing so. And more broad in in broader aspects of that sample, you come across huge discrepancies to the fact that you know most people don't think that the charter um, most people excuse me confuse the charter of rights and freedoms in Canada with the Declaration of Independence in the United States. For instance, there was a statement in there that uh, and a yes or no question as to whether or not Canada guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which of course is text from the United States document. of those respondents said yes, when the, in fact, the answer is no. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's low uptake of knowing the charter. um, But even among those who do, a lot of people are obviously getting major facts wrong. There's discrepancies about whether people know that the federal government
1: can actually live at provincial
7: rights. Um, It is quite interesting. And and the big, big takeaways, people just don't know the charter very well.
1: Yeah. And, and, my secret tell always whenever there's that kind of question is like, is this include that that line is not nearly technical enough to be in the Canadian Charter, Michelle, I don't know about <laughs> you, but anytime I look at it, it's like, oh, there's like 16 caveats and in, 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 uh, kind of definitions within a single line that really kind of frame the charter mm-hmm. to make it feel like a very technical uh, um, uh, document, but I'm curious how familiar you are with with the Charter Michelle you know we we both work in in the news industry chasing stories talking about a lot of issues surrounding the rights of Canadians especially on the news panel and some of the stories you're covering so how familiar are you with the Canadian Charter <laughs>
7: And I have to admit, I, here I am backing up the poll results through my own lived experience. I've I've looked at the Charter for various stories, but I've never read it from front to back. Um, especially when I had to do some writing about Ontario's invocation of the Notwithstanding Clause a couple of times. So on those occasions, I had to read up on specific sections. And I, I did look at the source document there. So I, know, I do know what you mean about the, uh, the constant footnotes and then the caveats around language. But it's... Uh, no it's not something i've sat down and read front to back and and reading this poll makes me think that perhaps i should do that um
1: yeah and and (laughs) i'm I'm gonna make (laughs) yeah i'm gonna make you put on your your uh kind of take off the journalist hat a bit and put on the editor do you think there should be some more education around the charter in in schools obviously you know, it, they, it doesn't necessarily come up in a standard conversation. As you say, is some of the results, it was a lot of Canadians confusing the Charter of Rights and Freedoms with the Declaration of Independence, with the, a lot of the American language that seems to really permeate mm-hmm. in many conversations. We don't quite have that with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, do you think there should be more education around it uh, in terms of whether it's in schooling or some other access to information just to make sure that Canadians are informed?
7: OK, well, I, I can't answer that one in a professional capacity, but from a personal perspective only, yes, I, w- I would be a champion of of more education on this one. And that's certainly what this poll is trying is the, the, the ultimate message from the pollsters is that this kind of thing is necessary because of the uh, pretty widespread levels of ignorance, but a pretty foundational document. So, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's pretty easy to make the case for for extended education or at least not even extended some fundamental education on this issue.
1: I and yeah, so I I always wonder too. It's like you know, are there? It's this almost a part of a an access issue. Elizabeth Moeller brought up a great point in in the conversation with the Daily Poll that you know there there are plain text documents available. The uh, government can is making this uh, information accessible. I guess is whether or not it needs to be more of. a a push or a focus to try to seek out this information or 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 make canadians aware hey we have this information available It, it like should there almost be like a a bit of a marketing push to be like be informed like you could use this poll almost as a jumping off point or or as like in the infographics like hey how informed are you about Canada and its laws yeah
8: well, I think there's been a
7: number of polls over the years, some written by me, some many written more about, written by my colleagues about general lack of knowledge on, on Canadian matters. Anyway, the one that I remember writing myself was the one that determined that the vast majority of poll respondents for that one had not heard of people like Ellen Montgomery um, Nellie McClung, like like famous Canadian women with notable accomplishments, and people had not heard of them. So, and and this comes up time and again with all kinds of historical issues. So you wonder about uh, the history curriculum in general, and maybe that needs to be revisited and revived. Um, as for this particular issue, I think it would be, like, I I agree, it would be interesting to see if someone wants to use this as a jumping off point for some revisions. But I think it would be also important, to, in terms of teaching it, to make people understand why it matters what having a document like this represents, what it actually means. And that actually circles back to another finding in that poll is that a lot of people give pretty low rank to some of the group rights that it protects. Uh, There's more of a focus on the individual rights that are in play, Mm -hmm. Uh, but people don't necessarily realize the impact of having a document like this as part of our constitutional framework really is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One last question, Michelle, before I, I let you go. This was this poll was conducted online and and part of the I guess the pros and cons of that is you don't necessarily have a gauge of how truthful people are being or or kind of how accurate the information that is being collected and is like you, you can't have a. Uh, you you can't even really have the um, oh I forget the term the the terminology margin right. of error uh, margin of error yes thank you uh, it's like you you can't even set that with online polls I, I'm wondering for no, you, you as 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 a reporter like how do you feel when when these polls are conducted online opposed to other methods that you can assign a margin of error to.
7: Polling is a deeply complicated one, and I don't know how much into the weeds I want to get on that because it's been a while since I revisited that issue and got truly knowledgeable about it. Uh, Mm. But the fact is that online polls are a mainstay of the polling landscape these days, so we work with what we have. Uh, There's pros and cons to both now, especially, too, with the, the... Reduction in people who are using traditional landlines or have blocking in place on, on their mobile phones. Telephone polling is getting more difficult to conduct that much, I do know. Uh, so pros and cons to to both, I'd say.
1: Michelle, thank you so much. I, I know I, I kept you on a bit longer. Hopefully you can go enjoy your your time off. Recover a bit from the cold you're you're dealing with. Oh, Have yourself thank you. a yeah, wonderful sorry week for and
7: croaking it all of your ears just
1: back there. No, sorry. not no, not at all. Hopefully you're feeling better by Friday for the now news panel. Go <laughs> go and relax now. Your 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 time suck. is done. Yeah. Take care.
7: Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: That was Michelle McQueig, the weekend news editor with the Canadian. Press coming up after the break. It's been a big year of travel for Kim Thistle, and she's going to reflect on the accessibility of tourist destinations from around the world. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and streaming and audio on AMIplus.ca. I'm Alex Smythe. Kim Thistle is one of the regular contributors on Now. She's usually presenting movie reviews, but that's not the only thing she's passionate about. Over the course of 2023, Kim did a ton of traveling. She visits Scotland, England... Italy, and Costa Rica, if that wasn't enough. During her travel, she encountered the good and not so good when it comes to accessibility. And she's joining in now from St. John's, Newfoundland to share more of her observations. Hello, Kim. How are you doing? Hey,
9: Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I'm quite festive, actually. I'm doing great. I am wearing, I don't know if viewers can see, I have a Santa, a Christmas tree hat. So I wear that, and I'm wearing my ugly sweater dress. May I show you? It has tinsel and glittery Christmas balls there and a gaudy green color. You name it. I am you ugly are... sweater all the way.
1: Nothing <laughs> ugly about it, all. Kim. Kim, nothing ugly about it. You're just dressed as a full festive Christmas tree as I like to view it anyways. So uh, let's dive into this conversation. Because as I listed off the top, you pretty much have gone everywhere this year, you've been traveling nonstop. So I I'm curious, what is the biggest accessibility surprise you found during your travels to Scotland, England, Italy and Costa Rica?
9: Excellent question, and I, you know, you said the good and the bad. I called the good, bad, and the ugly. Like it was mm-hmm. quite an eye-opening excuse upon experience, because yes, I'm traveling to these ancient cities, and I knew ahead of hand, you know, you know that there's going to be cobblestone streets, and there's not going to be accessibility and elevators, and in castles and historic places. So I knew that going in, but the biggest surprise was, um, it, it was pretty big. Big thing was about attitude and education and lack of knowledge about accessibility that surprised me in in the most part overall overall like in Scotland and England and they were very good about it but Italy is like they didn't have a clue what my white cane was it was somewhat dismissive about accessibility the only place I found really well in Italy and which was very strange was in Capri when we were taking the chairlift and they saw my white cane they actually stopped the chair lip and, you know, helped me get on and go. But apart from that, it was accessibility. What was that? It was pretty well ignored in a sense. Of the airlines that we had traveled with, am I allowed to say the names of the airlines?
1: Yeah, sure. Go right okay. ahead.
9: Okay. Iceland Air, we did that way and and then coming back. It was like, I and same with Vineyard, and I would say to them, you know, I need extra time to get on and, and that type of thing, and please let me go ahead of everybody. And then they said, okay, yes, fine. So you go ahead of everybody. And the next thing you know, everyone's packed behind me and I'm still not on the plane. And we had to walk across the tarmac for Vineyard. And then go on up. So I was still holding everybody up because I was the first in line trying to get in. So it's it's like they didn't have an understanding. I don't know if it's an it's an attitude or lack of training education. So that was a bit upsetting. And I don't want to say upsetting mm-hmm. because I went in on the trip and you know we're going to have fun and we're going to enjoy it. And I had a fabulous sighted guide, a good friend. So we rolled with it but it was interesting to see different perspectives and understanding from in different countries
1: right and so let's let's break it down kind of piece by piece here so we'll start off with uh scotland because you visited the orkney islands region yes. so what how was the accessibility in getting there and in especially in in the destination of uh, saint magnus cathedral
9: oh God, i love the cathedral i rang the bells in the cathedral we wanted um in the BBC, he bid on it, and it was just incredible because only the people who are trained to ring the bells can do it. So getting mm. there, oh, you know, we did the ferry, the so and a sighted guide with that. But when you get into the, the cathedral, it's not set up for you know, persons with disabilities in a, in a main way. You can still get in if there's a ramp, the wheelchair access, but cl- going up to the tower, like I don't know, so you see some of the pictures. And I was right up at the top there, the, the parapet. I can't remember what it's called. And that's a, over 150 stairs and the stairs are, stone so they start off wide and then they curve and curve and curve and get more narrow and and there's not limited lighting there's little cutouts in the stone wall so for me it was having my friends his daughter was ahead and he was behind me and they would tell me if there was things okay there's a turn coming Kim and I use my white cane to tap on the steps And Mm -hmm. use my hand palm around but it was funny because at towards the end of the trip um, a lot of people would come up to us as you know near the end in different spaces and they'd say um oh there's stairs here you know do you want to avoid the stairs and my friend would say she's better at stairs than i am (laughs) so (laughs) you know that the accessibility and they were very kind like they would say okay here's here's you know turn right turn left and that type of thing
1: and so moving then on to uh, England, uh, you, you part of your trip there, you took in uh, some theater productions, including uh, a rendition of Hamilton. How was the accessibility in the theater in, the, in England?
9: I was so super impressed. Like, and we and I can't remember the two theater names, but I'm thinking that they would all be similar because I went to two different theaters. We saw Tina the Musical and Hamilton. And when I had called to book the tickets, I said I want tickets on this particular day. I'm visually impaired, and he said perfect. He said I will let them know. And I thought, okay, whatever that means, let them know. Soon as I walked in. Are you Kim? And I say, yeah. I'm such and such. I'm your attendant for today. In both theaters, the same thing. And they bring you to your seat and they show you where the, the um you know the washrooms are, where the exit is. If you need me, I'm just gonna be standing over here to the left, let your partner know that you need some help. I was so impressed with that. And then I didn't use the headphone, the Bluetooth in Hamilton, but I decided to use a patina. And you know, they they stayed with me even when the show had started, trying to match it with my phone to go through on Bluetooth and getting the app done and the young lady was very supportive. So I had off, they also have assigned days that they do audible description and sign language interpreting. So I that is wonderful too. So I would encourage people if you're booking tickets to ask because they may not tell you that there's certain days assigned because I called and say I want to go on a Tuesday. If I had more time and he had said, you know, Thursday is our accessible show, I probably would have went to that one. But still wow. I was enjoyed the experience and they were spot on and friendly and like knowledgeable about accessibility.
1: So that was one of the the very positive experiences. Now, now did that yes. extend because you're into the museums in England because you also had an opportunity to take in some of the, the famous museums?
9: Yes, and the museums were good. Like they would ask, you know, do you need any assistance or how can we help? And, and we're like I said, I had a fabulous of God, a real good friend, and, and we were well, we work well together. But they would often offer, like, we have headsets to, you know, they have headsets for, pretty well every language, so mm. you can listen to the exhibits and go around and listen to the exhibits and what they are, you know, press a certain button, now you're exhibit one. Um, the stairs were uh, highlighted, what's the word, you know, the stripes on the stairs, the elevators, they were well done. We went into the Tower of London where the crown jewels are. Now, that's very dark and harder to see, but having said that, there's some places that were easier to manoeuvre than others my sighted guide, I really relied on him. They also gave me a big, large printout at the Tower of London so I could read the different things, and it was a real large printout. So they were prepared that way. So I was impressed there.
1: Yeah, it it seems to come to, like, kind of that that hurdle you always uh, come up against. It's whenever it's something a bit more... Uh, historically kind of preserved in a way that is the accessibility yeah. tends to uh, kind of uh, fall by the wayside a little bit. It's, it can't be as uh, you know universally designed obviously if it's nice. uh, uh, hundreds of years old, but there's still things that they can do. So that's that's positive. There were still some uh, services available. Let's turn over to Italy. You you did mention uh, off the top, you know, there were some uh, not so good and, and downright ugly uh, experiences yes. you found when it came to accessibility. How was it on the train systems? Because the UK train systems seem to be like, you know, one of the best in the world. How did that compare to Italy when it came to accessibility?
9: Um, the UK train, we did, you know, a Bob land train, plus we did the subway. Um, pretty well I've let down my own with my partner to get on the train. I often wondered if I was by myself, and I had said I need someone to help me. Would they offer it? I'm not sure about that. The subway was phenomenal. I mean, it is a maze operating through that. But once you get on each train car, they have two, or, they have four seats, I believe, assigned just for those who have disabilities or pregnant women, and if so, and you're allowed to sit in them like the everyday passenger. But I have to say, as soon as I came on the train and they saw my white cane, people would stand up. My partner said mm-hmm. it was unreal. He said immediately they saw you, everyone would stand up and give me the seat. So that was really wonderful. Italy, it was like they didn't realize that, you know, what I was using, the white cane, I assumed it was, um, you know, universal. <laughs> but, and it, it's not so much, you have to make sure to ask for the concessions. I noticed mm-hmm. that too. You know, like one day someone gave us the concession and then we went back to the same service to get the elevator down the 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 mountain that you just showed, there I called the mountain, Italy, and then it was like it charges double, <laughs> so yeah. you had to be careful. But I want to stress these are I'm just talking about little that like these are some experiences, but I'm not bashing these countries because it, mm-hmm. you know they've run into fabulous people and beautiful sites and great food. And I, as like I said, it comes back to the education part. I don't know if Italy truly works on their accessibility and, and the knowledge about that.
1: Right. And so lastly, uh, uh, before we let you go, you, you finished off your big year of travel by going to Costa Rica. So what did you find in terms of the accommodations, the accessibility during your time there?
9: Okay. Again, Costa Rica is a country that is being developed and it, it hit and miss because, you know, it was, it was, um dirt roads and there might be a sidewalk and there may not be a sidewalk. The accommodations I went to were the same ones we went to last year. I've gotten to know to the um, the owner. So I did suggest to her, I said, you know, those stairs there could do with, you know, tape or or paint. And, you know, the next day she had that done to highlight the stair. And I said, your light is out over there. You need another light here and there. And I wasn't, you know, being bossy about it. It was more like just Mm -hmm. some things just to, to keep in mind that might be helpful for others as well. And she did that, so I really, really appreciated that. So, and like I said, there's not a lot of accessibility, in some places have the the contrast on the stairs, others don't. So, once again, is is relying on a, a really good someone you trust for a sighted guide, yeah, and not being afraid Thank- to travel.
1: There you go. That's uh, the best (laughs) advice to end it on, Kim. We have to let you go. Thank you so much. I am very jealous of all the travel you did, and hopefully, you have a great uh, 2024 and we'll check in with you next year.
9: Thank you so much. You too. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy happy
1: holidays. (laughs) Happy holidays. I was Kim Thistle, contributor in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. In 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller will be here with the weather story of the day. But first, here's Canadian press reporter Rob Westgate
3: with her Morning Business Minute. Bay Street enjoyed a positive close Friday, with energy and base metals stocks pushing the index higher. Toronto's S&P TSX climbing 53 points to close at 20,332. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 130 points, closing at 36,248, while the Nasdaq rose 64 points, settling at 14,404. Asian shares are mixed this morning, with Japan's Nikkei finishing up 384 points at 32,792. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong dropped 133 points down to 16,201. Canadian ranchers say they want government funding to help them preserve the country's grasslands. And there's trouble in Toyland, and Mastermind isn't the only company feeling the pressure. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 73.58 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate.
1: And now it is time to talk about weather with Elizabeth Moeller. elizabeth it is the start of the week it was a quite a pleasant weekend weather wise in uh at least in the southwestern on uh, region of ontario but you're talking about snowfall coming to the province
4: unfortunately yes get ready for some more snow in ontario unfortunately the lake machine lake effect machine is starting up again so, what this is going to mean is this areas near the lakes are going to get a little bit of snow, making travel a bit tricky for the new week that we're about to embark on. You know, December, Alex, is not usually very warm, but I don't know about you on Saturday, it was about 16 degrees. I didn't even have to wear a coat. However, it's not going to stay that way, that warm in Ontario this week. It's going to have a little bit of a change after that mild Saturday. day. Today is going to bring a change in weather for southern Ontario. Even though most of the action will miss us here, we're still going to feel the effects of the storm and that cold air coming from the northwest. And this is going to restart that lake effect snow machine. Snow squalls, sadly, are likely going to happen southeast of Lake Huron and Georgian Bay. So these squalls might have strong winds, making it hard to see and for visibility and for some whiteout conditions for drivers. So do take care, especially in the areas downwind of those snow belts. If you're planning to travel today, be prepared for a little bit of poor visibility in areas expected to have that lake effect snow. That snow won't be too bad until Tuesday morning, but it could still cause problems for drivers and those who maybe don't like to dig out the old snow shovel.
1: Well, thank you very much for this, Elizabeth. Uh, Don't go anywhere. We will check in later with you for the round table, but coming up after the break, a new Netflix film takes on the body swap genre. Amy Amanti shares her review of Family Switch. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. Parents don't understand their kids. Kids don't understand their parents. If only they could switch places for a day and find out what it's really like to be the other person. Sound familiar? Well, here's a clip from the trailer of the movie Family Switch. I
7: worry that we're all kind of disconnected. Did you ask me something? Hmm. What? It's
1: okay. Good, Good night. night. <laughs> Meet the Walker
10: family.
7: Cece, do you think it's good for you to live like this?
10: Cece kicks a ball to mom.
5: You're really not supposed to use your hands.
10: They're growing up.
11: Why a family meeting downstairs? Let's go. Can you help me with
9: this problem? I'm kidding. You can't help me. No, I
10: can't. And growing apart.
9: We are going to make a happy memory as a family.
10: They visit a planetarium.
5: I wish you could be me. I would love for you to be me for one day.
7: I would love for you to know what it's like to be me. I would kill to eat a dozen donuts and just have it burn right off.
12: Would you take a picture of my family, please? Everybody say Merry Christmas.
10: As a little old lady takes their picture, a bolt from space hits the observatory. The next morning, at home...
7: Oh what are you doing in my bed? in yeah, my bed.
10: Why, Why am I in bed? your bed, Mom?
1: What is happening? <gasps> That's me. C.T. Mom? Wyatt? The Family Stares in a Mirror. <laughs> 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 the Family Switch stars Jennifer Gardner and Ed Helms. And entertainment critic Amy Amante from Vancouver has a review of that film. Hello, Amy.
5: Hello, Alex.
1: Okay, so what was it about Family Switch, Amy, that made you want to hit play on this one?
5: Well, um, you know, nothing in particular. I think, other than the fact that um, it popped up in my uh, my feed, and I thought, uh, you know, Jennifer Gardner and Ed Helms are two fairly well known actors, and I thought, well, you know, I'll just I'll just give this one a try. The, I mean, the title of the movie is uh, kind of gives away what it's all about, um, so. I just thought uh, I was in the mood for something not so difficult to have to follow, I guess. That was my, my thought process. Is that what I got? I'm not sure, but that was my thought process.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, and, and as you, you mentioned, you know, it's, it's quite obvious. And the, this uh, kind of plot or, or, or kind of trope of swapping bodies is it's nothing new. It's been done several times. So where did this idea originate from?
5: Yeah, you know, sometimes, again, when I I thought about hitting play on this, I thought, this is familiar, right? This is, we've seen this before. Um, The the genre of this swapping body things, as far as my research goes, came from a woman named Mary Rogers, who uh, wrote the book and the screenplay of Freaky Friday in 1976. And if folks don't remember Freaky Friday, that was a mother and teen daughter, Who did a body switch freaky friday just for anecdotal sakes uh was remade three times um after the book was written i think the most uh prominent one was jamie lee curtis uh starring in that one so um i'm probably the most successful one so you know this gets recycled over and over and over again as a genre
1: And so how successful was family switch in trying to do something maybe a bit different involving the whole family opposed to just two people switching bodies?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably the primary difference. I mean, we've seen mother and daughter switches. We've seen father and son switches. We've seen um, uh, people switching into the bodies of murderers. We've seen, right, like there are all, all sorts of different types of switches that we have seen over the years. Um, but this one is uh, a family switch. and so you are seeing uh, two parents and two teenagers switching. And then you are also seeing they have a a, a a toddler who's literally just starting to walk. So barely a toddler that switches into the body of the family dog um, which I could have lived without to be honest. Um, kind of that actually kind of ruined the film for me because you know you kind of bought the concept you could almost buy the concept alex if you were buying the concept until the baby switches into the dog and you're like okay that's just a step too far in this like step far enough right um but you know i think that that's how they were trying to achieve something different was the fact that they were looking at this perspective from from a family as opposed to just a, a duo a switch of a duo
1: and as you mentioned uh, before, you know this this film does have a couple big names, Jennifer Garner mm-hmm. and Ed Helms. how How were the uh, kind of the performer dynamics in this film, especially when you have to basically take on two roles as the same actor because of these these family swaps and these these body body swaps?
5: Yeah, you know, Ed Helms is a classic ham. Uh, that's really what he's kind of been. Um, Made famous for is kind of that Saturday Night Live, hammy kind of character, um, and so he does that well. That is his uh, that is his his type, um, and he does that well in this uh, particular movie as well. Um, Jennifer Gardner, as of late, has often been cast as, um, I don't know how to how to label her as this, but she gets cast as this mother figure that's very proper very organized very stern in some ways um like like you know never gets to sort of be fun and let loose a little bit um and so she is that again that archetype in this um i, I kind of feel bad for jennifer gardner to be playing this sort of character kind of over and over again because it i even as a character as a, a female archetype why are we always labeling our mothers as this kind of character? But at at any rate, that's how she's labeled in this. And so of course you're asking for um, a mother who's kind of stiff upper lip to play a daughter who's like loose and free flowing. And then a, a father who is loose and free flowing and carefree to play a son that has a little bit of anxiety and is kind of a mathematician nerdy like. So they're doing kind of this complete opposite character switch. Um, and so yeah you're asking both sets of actors to be versatile in playing both sets of characters right you got to see the same from the teenage performers to play the opposite as well and so um that dynamic becomes really important when we talk about the audio description a little bit later um and whether or not that works uh in well, terms well let's chase yeah, it up
1: right? let's 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 get into that then. Like, how was the audio description? Because you're, you're not only, okay, you gotta uh, reference the character, but it's the, the character within the character. So how did the audio description do at kind of making clear the the different characters and what roles they were playing at any given time?
5: Yeah, so if we lead into that, I mean, one of the things is, is that your characters have to be so different from each other, that from an, a storytelling perspective, from an actor's perspective, I have to be able to, like, if you know, take away the blindness, take away the access piece. I have to be able to tell non visually that, you know, the father is the son and the son is the father and the daughter is the mother and the mother is the daughter, right? Like, this could get really complicated. So you have to be able to tell um, just based on character that that is happening. Um, you know, sighted folks get other visual cues, like how they're being dressed and body language and those things. Uh, but I got to be able to tell from sound of voice and by um, sort of a personality in the voice whether these are whether these are um, personality traits that that are transforming, right? Whether 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 I buy Jennifer Garner as a 16 year old girl um, and whether I buy Ed, Hel- Ed Helms as a as a I think he plays a 13 year old boy. Um, so that's got to come through. Did that always come through for me? Not so much always. Um, Then you gotta rely on the audio description to be able to try and tell you these things. And I found the audio description to be quite complicated and not Mm -hmm. always very helpful um, because it would say things like, Bill as Wyatt and Pickles as Miles. And I would think to myself, okay, uh, Bill as Wyatt, okay, wait a second, Bill is the father and Wyatt is the son. So Bill as Wyatt means father as son. And, and so I was trying to like unwrap that all the time. And I think once we we have done the switch, you know, if they say Wyatt, you know, that is in the father's body, like they should have just stuck to the, the original character's name. Uh, and that would have been good enough for me, right? Because I I I know that the the name of the father is Bill and I know the name of the son is Wyatt. And so if they would just said Wyatt, then I know that that is actually the adult playing that character now. Uh, but the the audio description kind of does this thing where it says, you know, one as the other, and you're like, wait a minute, ah, I can't, right? In that moment, I can't figure that out. And it becomes really more complicated when it's the dog as the baby. Um, And sometimes I think that maybe the describer got confused and sent the wrong message. And then I was like, wait a minute, who is who? Because the dog is doing some things that a baby shouldn't do, like walking on two legs. And a baby is doing things like jumping on furniture that a dog wouldn't do, like that a dog would do. And you're like, I'm so confused. Um, And so I don't know that the audio description really made that much of a difference for me other than to just confuse me even
1: further. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be that, honest that, that's very fair so that's very fair on. absolutely and it's just trying to keep all of the context uh straight there i mean i'm I'm curious yeah. because you you mentioned too with like you know freaky friday there's been three remakes of it do you think that this genre in in this kind of a trope of the body swats, it's getting a bit kind of old and dated it should maybe maybe be put to bed for a little while
5: You know, that's the thing about this is that I suppose that if we could figure out ways of we as in writers and actors and performers and whatever could figure out ways of making this really, really fresh and new, you know, that there's a lot of comfort in plots that we know, and there's only so many original plots, like, we will recycle plots over and over and over like we, you know, we've talked about this many times on this platform, there are only so many storylines and so we recycle them over and over again and so you know sometimes we see this sort of body switch and they've taken a twist on it like 13 going on 30 which was another jennifer garner or 17 again which was matthew perry or big which was um uh tom hanks right so in big for example he's not switching a body with another character but he is in another body in that he's a child that has become an adult overnight right And so all of a sudden you are, you know, you were a a 10 year old and now you're a 30 year old. Um, So not necessarily switching another body with a mother or father or whatever that is, but a character that's grown up. I think that's the same premise in 13 going on 30 and 17 again, right? So it's a similar premise, but uh, still considered a body switch movie. You know, we saw that flip again in Face Off where, you know, it's not, there's not sort of a fairy or a magical character that comes in and sort of grants you this wish, this wish of, switching you positions so that you learn a little bit about another person and you walk in their shoes for a day but you know face off was a whole other reason as to why you needed to switch characters for a day right more than a day in this case but uh so you know if we could find maybe interesting ways of recycling this particular genre maybe we would find that there's merit in it but i think that a lot of times it's an easy way to make a buck um, mm-hmm. And so there aren't a lot of sort of thinking out of the box ways of recycling this this genre and then it gets kind of old and tropey. And I think if you're going to switch animals and people, then that's got to be the whole premise of the, of the piece and not just like we've switched to family and by the far and I just, that drove me bonkers, <laughs> just drove me bonkers right. and I couldn't handle that.
1: And so as a step too far, does it mean, are you going to recommend this movie? Are you not going to recommend this movie? Are you gonna recommend this movie so people know what a a not so entertaining movie is? Like, where are you going with this one?
5: I don't know. I mean, there were some really lovely, funny moments in this movie, and so it's not a total uh, loss for me. The gag reel was absolutely fun to watch at the end, and I was so glad they put in a gag reel because as you can imagine, You know, there's a lot of slip ups and a lot of mockery moments and a lot of interesting things that can happen when you're trying to play, you know, opposite characters. And so that was really, really fun to watch. So I would say, you know, if you got nothing better to do on a weekend and you have a family that you want to watch a film with, that this is actually a nice little go to movie. It's not the kind of movie that I would make my annual, you know, family movie of the year. There's a little Christmas twist on it. And so, you know, if you're looking for something to watch over the holidays, you could hit play on this one and sort of be safe in terms of it being a family-friendly film. Uh, but definitely don't turn it off when the credits come. Stick around for that gag reel, because that sort of is the nice bow on the piece. So, you know, um, it's not the... I wouldn't waste your, your hard-earned theater dollars uh, to watch this kind of movie in a theater, but it's, you know, it's a, a nice sort of short uh, film to watch on a rainy or snowy, if you're getting snow in Ontario, uh, afternoon.
1: Very good, Amy, thank you very much. Have yourself a wonderful day. That was Amy Amanti, the AMI entertainment critic from Vancouver, BC. And she reviewed the movie Family Switch, which is on Netflix. Now for one entertainment critic to an entertainment report with Amanda Shikarchi. Amanda, you wanted to talk about a new album release that first kind of got things started through TikTok. Tell me more.
6: Thank you so much. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Canadian artist Tate McRae's new album called Think Later. Greedy was the lead track from that album, and it was successful on TikTok. So, Alex, I will say I enjoyed the relatable lyrics, and but the songs felt short and the production was simple. How do online platforms like TikTok impact the way songs are being written?
1: so in, in my view like i i there, there's two different ways like because like it really depends on the medium of social media that that you use you know like for TikTok specifically you're, you're looking for smaller kind of sound bites or, or clips or or kind of um kind of small hits and pieces that are really going to sell within you know, the average uh, length of a video. So um, you're, you're going to look for, for shorter content that way. But when you look at the kind of the other side of the equation, if you look at like something like YouTube or or, or Spotify, if you're putting on different platforms like that, I I can foresee that you, you go a bit on the longer end of things because there's not really the, the confines that you have to fit under. Obviously, you know, back in the day, they would be kind of very, measured in in specific time lengths that radio stations and in different um, uh, uh, kind of players were, were looking to to have so any of these longer songs like stairway to heaven or any of these classic five six seven eight minute long songs would come with a radio edit to make it shorter for the listeners to, to listen at home but I think nowadays it's the age of social media it there's a lot more of a, a freedom to kind of choose the the length or whatever feels right for the song what about you amanda how do you feel how has TikTok and other social media impacted kind of the 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 structure and the length of of songs and music now
6: yeah so now with all these streaming services we are getting songs that are much shorter like i've heard songs that are like maybe two minutes long which is definitely different and you know i'm a sucker for those long five six minute ballads but I definitely understand why we do it we want to have that catchy hook that catchy melody and I also learned recently too that it has to do with when you're making money on streaming that artists only get paid after the first 30 seconds of a song on streaming so there's kind of that pressure there and you know there are lots of artists that do want to write that perfect TikTok hit And then others who are like, you know what, I'm not really thinking about streaming. I just want to write a good song. So it's an interesting thing to discuss and consider.
1: Absolutely. Amanda, thank you so much for for bringing this story forward. You will be back next Monday as well with another entertainment report. So we look forward to that. Uh, But in the meantime, have yourself a wonderful day.
6: Thank you so much for having me. This was fun
1: absolutely that was a uh, entertainment reporter amanda shikarchi and uh, just another entertainment note the golden globe nominations were just released this morning and laura bain will have a full breakdown of that on her entertainment report tomorrow but coming up in Uh, The second hour of the show after the break, Brock Richardson is going to stop by. He has a recap for a busy weekend in sports. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Back to now with dave brown on ami tv i'm alex mike this is also streaming live and audio on amiplus.ca so be sure to check it out to amiplus.ca as well it is monday december 11 2023 coming up on the second hour of the show it's the busiest shopping season of the year, so Sean Priest stopped by to chat online shopping and apps show, uh, folks should have on their radar. And there's a lot of myths out there when it comes to fitness, so Ryan Van Praet separates the fact from the fiction. All that and more to come on the second hour of the show, but it's time now for Sports Chat with Brock Richardson. Brock, it was a busy weekend of sports and a lot of headlines coming out of this weekend, but you wanted to first start before we get to anything else with the Para uh, para Hockey Cup in the wrap-up of that event.
8: Yes, so we had the uh, bronze and uh, gold medal games on Saturday. The bronze medal went to Czechia. They were victorious over China. The final score was 4-1. to I will tell you that Czechia only scored one goal in their previous uh, games over the tournament. Uh, They really came out and played really, really hard for this bronze medal uh, game. Uh, They uh, did this two years in a row where they scored um, only one goal in the round robin and then they uh, beat China in the bronze medal game. So this is a a team that obviously, you know, knowing the separation of Canada and U.S. This is a team that obviously gears up for the uh, bronze medal game, and it really means something to them uh, to get it. So congratulations to them. And then if we look over on to the gold medal side of things, Canada and the U.S. uh, The U.S. defeated Canada uh, 3-0 yesterday. It was uh, 2-0 for the longest of time until there was an empty net goal towards the end of the third period. I would tell you... Alex, that in this uh, nine-year drought that uh, Canada has not won the gold medal, this was the closest, quote-unquote, that we have seen Canada play to their potential. They played really, really well uh, defensively. They did not give the U.S. as much as they have in the past. Uh, I think the coaching staff really did sort of uh, prepare them. Russ Harrington, the head coach, uh, seemed to be okay with this performance they obviously wanted the gold medal but i do think we're starting to see a trend in the proper direction and i just hope that we can see canada build on this uh because it was a better performance than what we had seen in the last uh nine years uh span but unfortunately they still came up on the short end of the score
1: uh, yeah and as as you mentioned Brock this is something that maybe you can you can build on and and kind of take some some positives from and and carry it forward into the next uh... Competition, the, the next event, next time you you face off against the U.S. Because uh, anytime you you speak with with athletes, it's it's all about building momentum. It's all about taking positives away and, and, and working on kind of improving those it's those incremental changes. And as you say, it's like this is the best performance that they've had against the U.S. in in these nine years. Like that's that's positive. There's something you can go forward with, and hopefully, you know, the next time. They uh, they meet up well. Maybe it's not three nothing. Maybe it's two one. Maybe it's three two. You you get that kind of step by step closer and closer to where you want to get to. And and obviously beating the U.S. is is top of mind for them. Um, now moving on to some other big news from the weekend. You and Dave talked about this all last week, but it was all around the baseball world's phenom Shohei Ohtani. He now has a new team Brock what can you tell me about the signing Uh,
8: I can tell you that he has a 10-year deal with the uh, LA Dodgers that will net him uh, 70 million per season times that by 10 that's 700 million there was a lot of people who thought that this would be in the 500 600 million uh, dollar range it's still a lot of money regardless of how you want to slice this pie Uh, there's been a lot of a uh, disappointment in the uh, Toronto um, market with how things were handled. Uh, John Morosi, who's one of the, you know, high highly touted uh, reporters in baseball, had to put out an apology because he was one of many who um, backed this idea that Shohei Otani was on a flight to Toronto, and then he put an apology saying, no, that's not exactly um, uh, what happened. It was somebody from uh, Dragon's Den who was on their way to toronto but uh, yeah it's it's just been an interesting thing and i'm curious what first of all two things what did you make of the deal and secondly how did you feel that the toronto media handled this because i toronto and media beyond because i i think there was a bit of a, a a misstep on this this sort of department in my opinion
1: yeah, so first off, uh, obviously when you explore that deal, $700 million is a ludicrous amount of money for for any player. I know Shohei Otani is the most unique baseball player, honestly, since Babe Ruth. I, I think he is a phenomenal athlete. I think he is the best player in baseball and has been for, you know, the last uh, number of years. Does the signing surprise me at all? No, it was either going to be the Dodgers, the Cubs, or you know, like one of these other massive market teams. Toronto was not going to spend the money that was required to get Shohei Ohtani. Um, I, I think that's been clear in previous years that it's they just don't want to spend that amount of money. That said, I mean, for for what the Dodgers are going to get, do they think they're going to be you know World uh, Series champions every single year? Not necessarily. Yeah, look at where Otani came from. He he was on a team with Mike Trout and one of the other top five, top ten players in the league. They didn't even win a playoff game together. Like just because you have a uh kind of league best player on your roster doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna come away with championships. Uh so what? time so this is gonna be like kind of that that interesting thing that you you'll kind of watch. Like the Dodgers are never afraid to make big splashes. I don't know if this is going to be kind of the final uh, kind of thing to push them over to to get more championships because uh, they they've been a very good team for a while. We'll see about that. In terms of the media coverage, though, I I think this is just something that happens anytime there's a movement on a a major kind of uh, athlete in in professional sports. You saw it with Tom Brady when he was uh, leaving New England. You you see it with. You know, when football with Aaron Rodgers as well, when he was done with the, the Packers, like they're such a frenzy and, and reports just go out everywhere. And you, you don't know kind of how to decipher fact from fiction. It, it's rare that you, you actually get apologies from the reporters, like uh, like you mentioned in the case of Shohei Otani and the flight to Toronto. But this, it, it never surprised me, Brock. Uh, what about yourself?
8: Uh, no, I, I, it doesn't really surprise me. I do think this is a lesson, though, for all of us who indulge in, in media. I think we have to be careful in how much we we jump in this. I think it's a matter of making sure that you're right before you're first. And I uh, I think with big stories, sometimes members of the media um do that. They want to be first. And it just sometimes can get you kind of caught. The second thing I'll say quickly is that When you are a Shohei Otani and you you know, have this amount of money, I don't care who you are. And I know the LA Dodgers have a lot of money they can spend. They don't care if they're in the luxury tax and overspend on the salary cap. They don't care. But if you're going to spend that much money on one guy, it's hard to build around a team like that. They might be able to compete for one, two, three years, depending on what their contract situation is. When you get into that latter half of that deal it's going to be hard to build big names around it because at some point someone's going to say look we only have so much money we can spend even even if you are the dodgers
1: yeah that's absolutely true and and i i think as well it's very sport dependent in in terms of like you know the the coverage and, and just the friends that happens because you don't really see it with hockey with with the nhl i I think there's just a different approach to it maybe it's how these the reporters and, and the insiders are within that field they'll, they'll discuss buzz but it won't get to this kind of fever pitch because you're not seeing a player like Connor McGreg- uh mcdavid move yet or or be a free agent now that time may come down the line but until that happens you don't see kind of a face of a league kind of move places you see it a lot more in in European soccer. And and that's where it's a lot more kind of, you're trying to decipher all the fact from fiction and there's crazy rumors and reports out there that you don't fully know What is true and what is not, but uh, we're tracking flights for goodness' sake, Alex. Like, hey, that that happened. eh, So, as eh. as as a uh, a fan of Bayern Mm -hmm. Munich, Brock, I can tell you that happened with Harry Kane when he made his move over to Bayern. Mm -hmm. People were like on the airports; they were tracking. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's not on the flight. Oh, he got onto the plane. No, he got off the plane. He was told he couldn't leave. Like it it gets very ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting, honestly. So I'm glad yeah. that it's not more prevalent in the other sports in North America, but who knows? I mean, it, it may become more the norm as as people want to have that breaking news first. So we yeah. will see. Brock, thank you so much for this. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you. You as well. Uh, That was Brock Richardson at the Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, it's the busiest shopping season of the year. So Sean Priest stops by to chat about online shopping and apps that folks should have on their radar this season. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Alex Smythe. As the holiday season approach, there's many who are out trying to find the perfect gift for that special someone in their life. Over the past number of years, online shopping has exploded in popularity. And for people with disabilities, it is an easier and more accessible experience than in-person shopping and sean priest from double tap tv wanted to stop by and share his thoughts on accessible shopping hello sean how are you doing today i'm great thanks alex how are you i'm not too bad i'm excited to talk shopping with you you know i i secretly do enjoy <laughs> it it may be a bit of a problem at times but it's certainly something that i enjoy so Sean, let's let's talk about the online shopping experience. So how how can it be kind of uh, a positive experience for for folks with disabilities in in terms of making it more accessible and and easier to navigate?
0: Well, as with I'm, I'm very interested first of all how you shop, Alex. But we'll get to that. Mm. Um, as with a lot of things, it's the digitization of analog things, right? So, shopping now, I think is far more accessible than it's ever been before. Of course, it's not perfect. There's still websites out there where the buy now button is inaccessible to screen readers. Drives me crazy, by the way. <laughs> but as a general rule, the ability to just jump onto your smartphone or your computer and browse for yourself. Again, it's all about not having to rely on someone else. I can go on. If I need something, I can find it. I can browse the um, and that browse and compare the alternatives that are available, read reviews, and I can buy it easily and get it delivered very, very soon. For me, it is an anxiety-free experience, and I love online shopping.
1: Yeah, you know you I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that it's like it's reducing the stress it, it's you're not trying to kind of navigate the, the physical space in order to find a gift you you can pull it up you can search it online you can use your your devices that have different screen readers that have those different devices and, and applications on it that make it accessible and it, it comes to you instead of you having to go and seek it out yourself but uh, so how do you typically shop for for gifts and and presents during the holiday season, Sean, is it all through through online? <laughs> are you are you using coupons as well? Or are you doing a bit of a mix of both?
0: Well, it's it's a double edged uh, sword the um, accessibility of online shopping, and I don't just mean from a disabled person's point of view either. Even mainstream, how easy it is to just get what you want. Because no matter what I think of for friends or family, what gifts I think they may like, chances are they've already just jumped on a Amazon, let's say, and bought it for themselves already because it's just so easy to do. So, um, yeah, personally, I do all of my shopping. And it doesn't matter if it's for the holidays or just for myself or even the grocery shopping. Everything is done online. Now, since I've lost virtually all of my usable vision, I can't imagine going out there, especially at Christmas time, right, with the crowds and everything. I can't imagine how stressful that would be. And even Mm. if I get assistance, even then, because no matter what, you know, there's always that feeling of, I don't want to take up someone's time too much. You're always sort of compromising when you get sighted assistance to help you out. So uh, for me, online shopping is, is the only only way i shop at the minute of course there's other you know like the the local shop the local paper shop or the local sandwich shop for me especially um (laughs) which of course nice and easy you get to know the 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 members of staff there and it's absolutely fine but even then when it's throwing it down you know what i may jump on a uh, a food delivery app and just get something delivered um and it has got sometimes people look at you slightly in a negative way when you say that like you know what about social interaction and of course there is that angle to it as well but for me i think as i mentioned earlier the the the, the stress free experience the the <laughs> less anxiety i can have from doing anything the better it is for your mental health i i i, I can i can see some negatives to it
1: but the the positives totally outweigh it. Well, especially when you're you're talking about the holiday season, because if let's say there's there's shopping malls or or stores or things like that, they are going to be at their busiest. It, it, it's a different experience when you're going, you know, in in September and in uh, you know January or something like that to do. Do some shopping to oh you're you're here in like the last half of uh, December essentially and trying to pick things yes. out. It can be Christmas-y. such a, a hassle because <laughs> even if they have the product, it may not necessarily be in the place where it should be. Because you know, people pick things up or they move it around or they, they consider buying it, oh, they just place it on the shelf and there could be no hope in finding it, even if you have your full vision. Um yes. so I, I tend to align with you, Sean, in in I'll do most of my shopping online. That said, there are times where if it's an item that I know is going to be available in store, like I I like the the feature of, okay, I can source it online, I can kind of put in that I want to buy it, but I can pick it up in store. And I can make the journey out there, but they're going to have it set aside for me. So I don't have to go through all the, the hassle of that side of the equation. I'm trying to physically find it. And I can get it in my hands today. You know, that's another feature because of the online shopping. You never know if there's going to be delays with uh, shipping and things like that, if there's going to be issues along that side of the equation. But when you do go into uh, kind of the physical stores, one thing I I started to notice more and more, they're becoming less of a, as Dave likes to say, a cash operation. It's becoming much more the digital payment methods, the Google Pay, the Apple uh, Pay, you know, things like that. Like, When was the last time, Sean, that you paid for cash in a transaction in the store? I'm very curious. Oh, that's, uh,
0: wow, years (laughs) and years and years. Now, I say in a store uh, in particular, Mm -hmm. I can't even remember the last time, at least six or seven years since I've carried cash with me, but um, there's still times such as uh, taxis, and things like that, where uh, even now there is still lots of options to pay contactless, digitally or contactlessly. Um, but I find that a lot of these taxi cabs and things like that still, you know, sometimes no, we only take cash. But in, in those in those times, I barely—it's very rare. I have the emergency ten-pound note or ten-dollar mm. note in your case, stuffed away somewhere. But I, I, I barely use cash and again it's so much easier i can see that the time coming very very soon where atms go the same way as telephone booths, where mm. you just see less and less of them firstly i need to find an accessible atm with the headphone jack where you know i can actually use it um and, and secondly just finding it in the first place so um yeah i i never ever use cash and Again, sometimes people look at you negatively like that, like uh, this digital cash um, society is a bad thing. And, you know, there's a few conspiracy theories about it. But for me, again, it's all about making my life, as I'm a very selfish person, it sounds like, making my life as stress-free as possible. And if I don't have to Mm -hmm. worry about, do I have enough cash? Can I identify the notes even that I'm carrying in my pocket? Over here in the UK, the the notes have gone to this plastic polymer, and they feel just like um, chocolate candy bar wrappers or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so I don't like carrying them around. Um, we're lucky over here; they are tactile symbols to denote the the amounts of the notes. But even then, it, it's it's past it, to me. It's like going back to checks. Someone passed uh, a family member of mine a check the other day and they didn't know what to do with it. it was, sorry, <laughs> is this nineteen eighty one? Um, we haven't used checks here for years and years and years. And I I see cash going the same way. There's so many, so many small vendors now that that have these services where they got a a cash reader, uh, sorry, a card reader where you can simply pay with your smartphone.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and when I was um, uh, this this fall, I actually uh, traveled to uh, Germany and then to, to Iceland and I was shocked just I, I like any time I travel, I'm always going to get like some local currency. So I got some euros and I got some Icelandic kronors, I I got like, OK, I got cash just in case I need it. Literally every single place I went had Apple Pay, Google Pay. I I had to force (laughs) myself to pay with cash when I could because I needed to get rid of it. And (laughs) it's such a different experience, you know, just like, oh yeah, you really don't need this anymore in in the day-to-day kind of situations. now there may be certain shops that will say oh you know cash only or if there's an issue with either the machine or or your device whether it's your phone or or uh, some watches that you you want to do the payment with I I find it's such a unique thing because cash is still legal currency you think it's like oh I'm gonna use this because I have it uh, on me and it's still valuable but as you say, it's like you know, maybe this there's a transition and it's going to be happening that we're moving away from it. But um, I, I so. I'm curious. I, I think Sean, I, I want to find your your, benef- uh, your your thoughts on this, though, because what happened if, let's say, online shopping, digital currencies, all that, just disappeared tomorrow? How would you manage?
0: Whoa! Stop it! Don't scare me now, Alex. <laughs> um, no, it would be a huge, huge negative. For me, and I think the disabled community in whole. If if mm-hmm. online shopping disappeared tomorrow, absolutely. But I think then we would have to um, hold these uh, bricks and mortar stores to a higher level. Right mm-hmm. now, even big chain supermarkets um, and, and big chain stores, I find you can you can go in and say, hey, can I? Any chance I can get some assistance? I want to do some shopping. You could be waiting thirty minutes. You could be waiting an hour for someone to to come and help you. And even then. There's no guarantee that those people know how to have had any disability awareness training or anything like that. I've had some horrific experiences with with assistance. So I think if online shopping did disappear for whatever reason, then it would be time that we held um, bricks and mortar stores to a higher level when it comes to actually getting assistance. Because You know, there's so many times where we're actually losing even human cashiers now in supermarkets, it's self-help, which are inaccessible, Um, self-help checkouts and things like that. So um, I think that they would have to up their game substantially before I would feel comfortable going out shopping again.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely such an important uh, point to put on it because it's like you need to have those those uh, people there that can physically help you and and assist and answer questions and as you say it's like yeah you go into a digitized world doesn't mean it's accessible it needs to be accessible for folks shopping. Uh, Sean thank you so much for for your time it's all uh, we'll have to get out of here but uh, look forward to chatting with you next time. Thank you so much enjoy your shopping and happy Christmas. Yes, you as well. That was Sean Priest, one of the hosts of Double Tap, which airs daily on AMI-audio, noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can also follow the Double Tap team on Twitter at Double Tap on Air. Coming up after the break, The conversation around online shopping continues as Elizabeth Moeller poses the question around porch pirates and deliveries from online shopping. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Maitin for Dave. I wanna bring in Elizabeth Moeller because before we bring in Ramya in and reign of majid Elizabeth, you wanna kind of pick up on a bit of the conversation that Sean Priest <laughs> and I were just having around online shopping, but more focus on the end result when you finish shopping and your packages get delivered.
4: Or do they? Yes, I do Ooh. want to pick up on this. Yes, a little, little suspense there. Um, so as, as you and Sean talked about, it's the holidays. We're all doing more online shopping. But we know that these pesky porch pirates are a problem. Say that 10 times fast. Sometimes you don't get your package or sometimes the package goes into the wrong hands. So I wanted to sit down and talk about this because we've all had to kind of rethink how we're getting our deliveries. And I wanted to pose to the panel, starting with Ramia how do you ensure that your packages get to you safely and into the right hands?
12: Mm, yeah, really good question, Elizabeth. And it, this is kind of work in progress, right? Because as we get more of the information available to us and start being able to utilize that information like tracking, like keeping in touch with the um, whoever's sending packages to you because we're not just talking about like Amazon and such sometimes your friends, your family people are sending you packages so um, that can get kind of dicey as well um, <laughs> So anyways it, you really like whatever information is available to you number one like as generally as possible tracking, um, also the kind of information you put in like your buzzer codes, your uh, phone numbers, your whatever like as specifically as possible for delivery instructions. That's where I start to to try to make sure that I'm covering my end and I live in an apartment building and I promise you I have had uh, not in my current place, thank goodness and touch wood, but um, in my previous, uh, my previous uh, residence I've had things stolen at least once every half a year. So, and it was an apartment building as well. So we don't even know what to, you know, who to blame um or how to react to that but it was really really frustrating and there was a time when i tried to beat an amazon package home by 15 minutes and it got uh, taken before i got home so it was savagery but um (laughs) i i do try my on my end to try to put in as much information as possible to track down to the minute um to try to put in like window availability, because that part is the most frustrating. Like, let's say you're home all day minus two hours, but, you know, the the package tends to arrive in those two hours, then you're screwed, right? Uh, but yeah, I still think a lot of it is just risk. Um, if you have neighbors, good neighbors, then keep in touch with them. That's another thing.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and, you know, there's so many different strategies you laid out there, uh, Ramian in terms of how you're doing. It. And you made a good point that it's, this isn't just Amazon. This could be from any, any vendor and they all have different rules and different, uh, I guess, uh, processes that they go through. Like obviously one that uh, if it's something that's a valuable package, it's something that, you know, you're a bit more concerned about making it into your hands try to see if you can arrange to have it that you need a signature to sign off on the package being delivered or something like that there's or in barring that you know it it may be less appealing for us but maybe having it delivered to a kind of specific drop off location, or, you know, there's those uh, like little kind of lockers that you can you can use and you get the code for the lockers that you can pick up a package at a a, a determined um, location, especially if you're dealing with, you know, uh, quite regular occurrences of theft, as it sounds like you were Ramya, which I'm I unfortunately, uh, I, I'm sorry to hear that, uh, because there's nothing more frustrating than realizing your package is is gone. But Nisreen, what about you? Like what, what strategies do you try to uh, use and incorporate to make sure you get your packages?
11: Uh, Remy pointed uh, this out where you, you try to track it as much as you can. Obviously you can't, you can't always track it. Uh, But when it says a certain time from this time to this time, I try to be home and um, I try to communicate with the, delivery person saying, okay, like, are you, are you there? You almost there kind of thing. Um, so that communication is important. Um, whenever you can, obviously you're not always going to be there. Um, another thing that I feel like became common and I believe it's because of the the package pirates <laughs> became a thing because I've, I've heard a lot of stories about people's packages being stolen and they caught it on their porch camera. Um, I've seen a lot of TikTok videos of that. So after that, I feel like they became more secure with the pin code that you receive when a package is being delivered and they make sure that they hear it from you or you text it to them or whatever it is. So I, I like that security. I mean, that extra security whenever you can, not always, it's not always there, but, um, that's, that's how much I, I honestly give it. Other than that, thankfully, I've never had that experience. Um, but, uh, it's, it's hard. It's, it sucks. It really sucks. Mm -hmm
1: absolutely elizabeth this was your topic i'm giving you last word on this what strategies do you try to use to make sure you get your packages
4: yeah so in our building um, they've just implemented lockers so what will happen is in your mailbox you'll get a key in an envelope with a a totally inaccessible print number and then you'll go down (laughs) to the locker and you can request to have your packages put there and then you just pop the key in the locker Um, i've also done A time where dropping it at the post office and going to pick it up. I also though I'm very lucky, and this doesn't happen for everybody in our corridor in our building, we're a very close network of neighbours, so if someone sees a package outside uh, a door they'll bring it into their place, they'll text the WhatsApp group to say, hey Elizabeth, your package is in with me. Um, The other thing that I do is sometimes reschedule deliveries. If I know that something's come up and I'm going to be out, I'll actually, if I can, go on the app and reschedule. Um, We've already mentioned tracking, but I think also part of it is just as soon as I see that it's been you know dropped off i go right to the door right to the locker and try to get it so it's not sitting um our mail room this time of the year is chock-a-block with packages sometimes though i will say like accidents happen and in my building i often get stuff for the unit above me so it's also goodwill and good faith right of bringing stuff back if it's not yours Um, but i would say the last strategy i use is being as detailed as i can in those delivery um boxes for anything that the delivery person needs to know so like you know buzz code, you know, where where your um, apartment is located, like all the stuff that would be really helpful. So um, it's happened to me, it's awful. Um, But I contacted the company and they resent the item, I explained it was stolen. Um, And some companies also will even take a picture and and show that it's at the door. And then you can just go right out. So yeah, those are the strategies I would say I use.
1: Very good. Elizabeth, thank you so much for uh, bringing this topic forward and filling in as co host today. Have yourself a wonderful day. You as well. Nisreen, thank you so much for contributing. You have yourself a wonderful day as well. You too. And Ramia, before I let you go, you have to let me know what the top line item on today's Kelly and Ramia show is.
12: Oh, absolutely. So we are talking to Danielle McLaughlin-Anoya Rights, and she's speaking with the Honourable Francis P. Uh, which involves a project about Afghan judges who are now living in Canada and the journeys that they've been going through and the initiatives they've started.
1: Oh, that sounds like a fascinating conversation. Now I will bid you a good day, Ramya. Take care and we'll chat tomorrow. Chat tomorrow, Alex. Okay, so coming up after the break, there are a lot of myths around fitness and working out and staying healthy. Well, Ryan Van Praet, he's gonna separate the fact from the fiction. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. and now with Dave Brown on AMI, I'm Alex Smythe. There's a lot of information out there when it comes to living a healthy lifestyle. It could be tips and suggestions on how to make the most out of a workout. It could be suggestions on the foods that help and hurt in your weight loss journey, but not all of them are true. There's a lot of myths that can give people the wrong impression when it comes to staying active. Ryan Van Praet is here to dispel some of those myths today. He is an inclusive sport advocate. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? How's it going? Uh, not too bad. So, Ryan, in your mind, what are some of the biggest fitness myths out there?
10: Yeah, there, there's a lot. So I tried to break them down, and I think the three that I come across the most. The first one is that people think there's a one-size-fits-all, um, that you know, there is the one fitness fad or the one fitness routine that is going to be the magic uh fix for them and it's just that certainly is a myth we need to find the routines that obviously meet our goals but also meet our passions and our interests so the first one is there is no one size fits all i think the second one is the fact that people think they have to be fit <laughs> before they go to the gym you know they're saying well i can't go to the gym yet until i basically it, until I basically you know get fit enough to go to the gym and that's certainly not true. I mean, that's what the gym is there for, right, is to help you start and to continue your fitness journey. And I think the last one is the most common one is no pain, no gain. And I think, you know, there's a tiny bit of truth to that, but not to the degree uh, that I think people think uh, in terms of, you know, needing to suffer in order to uh, make the gain. So those are probably the three biggest, but there certainly are a lot of other ones out there for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then let's let's focus in on on kind of the 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 truth, the fact behind kind of those those myths, and uh, let's kind of like really focus in on that last one—the pain uh, versus gain kind of mentality. Because like the, some of the others are a bit clearer, but as you mentioned, there is a bit of truth behind that, but it's not to the extent that people may think.
10: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know my favorite saying is, "If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you." And I think. That's certainly where maybe the no pain, no gain kind of comes from. People think, well, if I'm not absolutely suffering, then I'm not making progress. And I think there's that happy medium. You know, I think um, social media can have some characters on there that are, you know, showing themselves doing epic uh, challenges and, you know, getting sick all over the floor. And, you know, that's not what you need to aspire to. That That's the very extreme end of it. And I think you do have to... Um, feel something in order to make progress most of the time you know you have to sweat you have to be out of breath your muscles may need to burn a little bit um but i always like to just describe it as you don't want the uh uh-oh pain or the oops pain the oops pain is where you go and try to lift something really heavy and you feel a sudden snap or like somebody's stabbing you um that's that's kind of the oops pain maybe you've gone a bit too far so that's not what we need to aim for we just need to aim for that general Um, fatigue and that tiredness. And that's probably enough to determine that you're you're headed in the right direction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious why you think these myths are so so prevalent, because as you say, there's so many out there, and, and they seem to be kind of like echoed constantly. Why are they so prevalent everywhere?
10: And social media. I mean, obviously media is great. We're on media right now and it can do amazing things, but it also, you know, it's no surprise that it can lead us kind of in in the wrong direction. And I think, you know, we may see somebody on the screen that um, we want to look like, or we want to do the thing that they're doing. um, And sometimes we're not really understanding that there's a whole process to getting there, you know, like running a marathon or or lifting a whole bunch of weight. We kind of want that quick fix and social media you know, uh, we can very quickly search through and get that that quick tip. If you ever go looking for golf videos, (laughs) you'll certainly fall down that rabbit hole, you know. And so I think social media has a lot of power uh, for great information, but it also can be tricky to decipher, you know, what is really the most um, safe and fruitful path versus, you know, kind of what's the gimmick.
1: I, I'm curious how body image and then self consciousness like help kind of feed into these these myths and and kind of their widespread nature and, and how they're uh, found all the everywhere. Yeah,
10: and I mean again, not picking on social media, but I think you know we 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 can see images of people that maybe we want to look like, and and I think one of the the biggest pieces with body image is the misconception around what what a healthy body is. Um, you know, we think skinny equals healthy, um, slightly overweight or larger equals unhealthy. And that just really isn't true. You know, I think, yes, on average, if if you are leaning towards the um, the larger side of things where it comes to where you carry your body fat, not just the size you are, but like maybe where you carry your, your proportions, there's definitely some medical considerations there. But it's not the whole story. You know, you can be... Um, Skinny and very unhealthy or you can be larger and healthy and I think body image is, is so tricky, um, especially with young adults or people, um, you know, really looking to make that change we can really get caught in that trap so I think the consideration is focusing less upon the looks I mean easier said than done. And focusing on more of the intrinsic things Do you feel better do you feel stronger, can you climb the stairs easier. Do your clothes fit better? I mean, that, that you know, is way better in determining your, your health and your fitness than just the number on the scale or, or even just the look in the mirror. So understanding that health is more than just that look or just that body weight. Um, and understanding that, you know, when you go to the gym, it's natural to think everybody is staring at you probably not the case because they're just as equally self-conscious as well and they don't want to be stared at so they're probably not staring at you i think um you know just understanding that most people at a gym are probably where you're at you know they're 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 starting out they're new they're a little self-conscious and you know let's all just be kind to each other and uh and just encourage that would be the, the thing i would say
1: well and especially too if if you are you know kind of looking to get into a more of a, a kind of routine, a fitness routine or, or just a bit more of a commitment of going to the gym especially you know around this year as we we turn over to 2024 a lot of uh, goals are, are kind of made or, or kind of uh, um, you know uh, resolutions are, are set forth yes. what do people get wrong when they set fitness goals for themselves?
10: And you nailed it right there. I think there's a difference between a resolution and a goal. Uh, I think ideally, you know, we all have these great plans in our head, but the number one thing I think people get uh, wrong or they maybe don't focus on is being specific. You know, if you say, I want to get fit or I want to go faster or I want to be better, those aren't really objective. So being fit, what does that mean to you? Going faster, what does that mean to you? Um, Being better, what does that mean to you? So having a specific uh, objective target. Like I want to be able to lift my body weight. I want to be able to run 30 minutes in a row. Um, you know, I want to have my pants fit, um, one size smaller. Like those are objective goals. So doing that kind of keeps you on track and having, um, having an end date is really specific too. you know, picking, picking a long-term goal. And then maybe picking some shorter term dates in between keeps you motivated and keeps you on track. And it keeps you Focused um, subjective information is is great, but it it's too easy to fall off the rails when you don't have something specific that you're aiming for.
1: How does uh, how should access to and and kind of the facilities and resources around you uh, be part of the consideration when you're setting new goals for the new year?
10: Yeah, I think it depends on what that goal is. You know, if you're wanting to just be generally healthy, I think it's finding. You know a facility that not only meets your budget your transportation needs your accessibility needs you know is it a, is it a really dark and dingy place that you know if you have low vision um it's not gonna be so great is it uh inaccessible for for wheelchairs um you know are they open to having you bring a buddy if you're needing that that guide or that extra person to come with you so you know the 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 facility itself where you're actually going to do the work is really important to to keep in mind and um you know what works for your friends may not be an environment that's that's working for you. You you have to mm-hmm. if you don't feel comfortable going and you don't feel motivated to going then I mean you're just not going to get the work done. So yeah, yeah. It, it's it goes back to that number one thing, you know, there is no one size fits all. It's whatever whatever's going to keep you rolling is is the right answer.
1: Perfect, Ryan. Thank you so much. We have to say goodbye to you because that's the end of the show. Thank you for joining in, and thank you at home for listening to us. Have yourself a wonderful day. Dave will be back tomorrow. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV.